up, everyone? Welcome to Let's Talk Markets with Dave Lauer. I am the resident smooth brain here helping you figure out what are all these wrinkle brains talking about, pink. And uh, this week, we are continuing the conversation on crypto. If you tuned in last week, we had a very interesting, invigorating, uh, dissenting debate about um what qualifies as security in the crypto space, in the NFT space. So continuing that conversation, but taking a bit of a, a different take on it, is Aaron Kaplan, uh, founder and co-CEO of Prometheum. So thank you for joining us, Aaron. Thank you for having me. So Dave, uh, last week you got you got into a very interesting, We we I think we almost doubled our recording time, which yeah, was, was totally long, worth it. Long conversation, yeah. yeah. Uh, but so interesting to see um, just the different takes on this. And so I promise we are Let's Talk Markets. We will talk about the stock market and uh, everybody's like, why, why are we continuing to talk about crypto? I saw a few comments that was like, it should be called Let's Talk Crypto. Um, <laughs> but that's just what's happening this week and uh, in the last few weeks. So we're just yeah, continuing you know, that in, conversation. Yeah. In fact, I, this is actually going to be one of our last crypto conversations for a while. So some of you are going to be very disappointed. Uh, the rest of you have probably stopped listening. So uh, if you're still listening, I assure you we're going to talk markets, uh, traditional markets, for a while actually going forward but you know we've had we've had a lot of different points of view on here i think trying to answer this this sort of central question what's a security and do the security laws as formulated apply to crypto and are they sufficient right and um i i think to sort of button up that conversation not that we've really gotten to anywhere we've just heard a lot of perspectives um, kind of a lot of oof, oof, yeah. like head turning. You think you know, and then you get a really interesting opposing opinion, and it's like, oh, well, that just changed my view totally. So, <laughs> and I, but I think it's so important. I, I don't think there's anything more important than always trying to seek out a perspective that you don't agree with, um, or you know, one that that sees things completely differently from you. Um, and 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 as long as it's sort of well intentioned, you know, not nefarious. As long as it's as long as people holding those opinions do so genuinely, I think that that debate is really important. And and look, obviously, there's a lot of disagreement around crypto and securities laws. And you see it politically um, from people that are very opposed to the current approach out of the SEC. Um, and you see it from people that are very supportive and they're like, what, what don't you understand about this? This is quite clear. We have securities laws. This is a security. Um, and so, you know, I, I think we need to keep an open mind in these conversations. Um, and I, I do think that when we think about what we want to talk about on Let's Talk Markets, you know, it, it's about the markets today and the markets of the future, right? And the markets of today are highly focused on equities. Uh, I don't think that will be true in the markets of the future. And I think that understanding where things are going is just as important as understanding where they're at um, and where we've been. And so, you know, I, I just think it's best to hear lots of perspectives on where we're going and how to get there in a way that is um, that, that protects people, right? That we, we've just seen too much, too many times people uh, being defrauded, people losing their shirts, um, especially in crypto, but certainly also in the equities market. And, you know, I, I think from our perspective, from, from my perspective, especially, uh, I think fraud is the thing that uh, I, I think 
you know, I want to help people understand and identify and, and avoid um, as much as possible. And if we can design regulatory framework that helps with that, or we can lean into an existing regulatory framework that maybe could work a lot better, um, uh, but is designed well, maybe, uh, then I think that that's what, what we should all be trying to do. So anyway. Uh, For sure, which is kind of where Prometheum comes in, right, Aaron? Kind of, kind of where Prometheum comes in, yeah. yeah. We sort of sit at the intersection between, uh, or the transition between uh, crypto markets and traditional markets by leveraging existing frameworks to basically what we feel provide a basis for proper trading and custody of digital assets that actually allows the American public to responsibly participate in the digital asset space. Which is so scary for the layman. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the digital media versus physical media versus AI media, you know, conversation that's, it's all relative. You, the, the bottom line being that you do have to embrace the future of, you know, these, these industries, because it's coming, whether you, the digitization of these industries is coming, whether you like it or not. So we might as well regulate it and understand it. So, and also in the interest of preventing a, a total echo chamber, which can be found anywhere else on the, you know, on the internet, uh, it is good to have these conversations. So. Yeah, that's right. I, I think that's the key point, Pink, right? It's coming whether people like it or not, right? The, the world exactly. is changing. The only constant is change, and um, especially when technology is involved. And um, Don't be Lars Ulrich v. Napster. I'm wearing my Metallica shirt today, so uh, don't, <laughs> oh, no. don't, don't be Lars versus Napster to the <laughs> 2001 or whenever that was. It was Spotify. Like it yeah. happened when we led the pathway, and, you know, there's been an analogy made that uh, – the crypto markets as have been currently or previously constructed were like Napster and we're coming to be more of a Apple or of a Spotify here and basically allow the artists to basically properly eat and based on their artistic works. Exactly. Uh, yeah, because again, when you think about it on the intermediary side, basically the platform where you go to trade and custody your digital assets, the question is how do you best make sure that people are trading there get fair and orderly markets, get actually proper markets that have integrity and that their assets are properly segregated, custodied, and secured. And the federal securities laws provide a, a tried and tested framework by which we believe we could do that. So you're saying that FTX wasn't properly custodying assets, and uh, but it's, it's crypto, so there's no way securities laws could have uh, protected us in that situation, right? But they're, they're financial instruments. And let's look at like what people are doing with it. They're speculating on these financial instruments. They're trading it like equities. They want it to be held and custodied like equities. They want to have the protections of uh, what they expect when they deal with sort of the larger broker brokerage capacity. And those are the protections of the federal securities laws. Now, whether it's larger consumer protections or investor protections or fair and orderly market requirements, et cetera, uh, we've been dealing with these sort of issues for 90 plus years since the federal securities laws were created and they're tried and tested. And so I don't know if there's a need to recreate the wheel. Okay, so let, let's take a step back real quick for a second. And just want to uh, quickly introduce, you know, you said Prometheum is sort of the intersection of the digital world and the, the, the traditional securities world. What exactly does Prometheum do? Why is it interesting? Uh, Prometheum through and through its subsidiaries is creating the public market and custodial infrastructure and obtaining the proper licenses to allow for trading and custody of crypto or digital assets under the securities laws. Uh, as think about it is in the pre-FTX world, uh, there was a wild west of crypto. In the post-FTX world, we need to have 
reasonable and rational and tested frameworks to allow the American public to responsibly participate in the space because we saw what happens when it doesn't. And Prometheum's thought is that the federal securities laws uh, provide a great solution to enable and to establish that framework. But I, Coinbase told me that you cannot possibly register under the current securities laws. Is that is that accurate? I mean, I guess maybe I am a fake or an AI type thing going on. <laughs> Do you actually exist, Aaron? I'm, or is this all just a figment of Gary Gensler's imagination? I mean, you know, it depends what the internet says. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so Coinbase says uh, they wanted to register and the SEC would not allow them to. Uh, you are here to tell us that you have registered um, and you are um, licensed, I guess, or registered to custody digital assets as well as to facilitate trading of digital assets. Is that right? We're licensed to publicly trade digital assets through an alternative trading system, an ATS, and we're licensed to custody uh, digital assets under the securities laws through a special purpose broker-dealer. And Prometheum was the first company to receive its approval to become a special purpose broker-dealer in May of this year, I believe. And one, you know, one of the things that we should discuss is why was Prometheum able to do that? I think that we were able to do that is because, A, we had always had a belief that the securities laws provided a great framework by which to allow the general public to participate in this space. But on the other side of that, this regulation came out, it was proposed in December 2020. They called it the Christmas release. Uh, they asked for comment. And during that time, Prometheum commented. It's a publicly available comment letter. And then was this regulation, sorry to interrupt, is this the qualified custodian rule change? That's different. First is oh. the regulation that basically lays out what a special purpose broker dealer is and how Got to it. get approved okay. as one. And the qualified custodians after, but it's very relevant to the special purpose broker. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's funny the Chris, that you, you'd call it the Christmas release. And as someone who, you know, uh, prides myself on being aware of different regulatory proposals, uh, until you and I first met and spoke, I was actually not even aware of this special purpose broker dealer proposal. Well, yeah, but it came out in, so this is December 2020, and it's adopted in the Federal Register in April 2021. When it's adopted in the Federal Register, that's a law on the federal mm -hmm. books. That's an actual law. So then the question is, so how come you guys were able to be one of the first and the only one so far approved? And the reason is, is because we build custom systems to deal with how the regulations laid out how custody exactly had to be done and really focused since the day the regulation was adopted, uh, spent over a year putting together an, an extensive application and another, I think, 12 to 15 months thereafter getting approved. So when you focus your efforts and you believe in a system and you actually build your systems to comply with how the regulations are laid out, that provides a clear pathway towards getting approved. Just follow <laughs> what they say to do. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, it has, and I've had this 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 conversation now many times. But there is a a view that that you could probably argue that says a lot of crypto today is sort of an end run around securities laws, um, despite sort of economically and materially being the kinds of things that should fall under the purview of securities laws. And then when you talk to people uh, at these firms who will say, well, we can't register, we engage with the SEC, they, you know, they didn't give us a pathway to registration, and then the next thing we know there's an enforcement action. It, it sounds more like they kind of wanted to register on their own terms 
And those are not the terms that the law lays out or the regulation sort of, that's not the regulatory framework that, that we exist in. And, and their frustration is less that they can't register and more that the regulatory framework isn't exactly what they want it to be. Uh, trying to fit a square peg in a circle hole. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 listen, it, I, I understand the different mentality. We come from a securities background. We've been in the brokerage business. I'm a securities attorney by trade, so I see it one way. Uh, and people who come from different backgrounds might see it a different way. But the larger question is, how do you protect the public? In the events of 2022, the public was left holding the bag not because they made bad trading choices, but because literally the firms they were with did not have proper risk management, did not have proper internal controls, did not properly custody their assets. So now that we see a reaction to that and a paradigm shift and regulation coming in as it really always has applied and should, uh, we're, I think you're seeing a larger intransigence, which is arguably what kills innovation. Now, on the crypto side, because when we look at innovation, because it's a major topic in the industry, there's two different components. One is the crypto side, and one is the integration of sort of distributed architectures, distributed ledger technology into market infrastructure. Now, on the crypto side of innovation, um, if you think about an entity, when an entity basically, uh, when there's a paradigm shift, and instead of trying to work within this new paradigm and understanding those frameworks and building within those frameworks, there's resources devoted to uh, trying to fight a battle in public, you know, to basically uh, be intransigent and not work within those frameworks. And the diversion of those resources to that fight essentially diverts your basic focus away from innovation. So one can argue overall that, it, you know, the crypto intransigence to sort of understand and work within this new framework has been what's really harmed innovation on the crypto side. Now, when you look at innovation on the traditional market side or the financial institution side, you need to have a methodology by which those traditional financial institutions feel comfortable participating in the digital asset space. And when a digital, when a company that's licensed as a broker dealer or a bank, you mean under the security or banking laws, tries to integrate with a crypto firm, it's apples and oranges from a compliance perspective. And that makes it hard because from a compliance department, there's a lot of regulatory and compliance risk that's very hard to get over. But when a traditional financial institution tries to integrate with someone licensed under the securities laws like Prometheum, there's no longer that sort of apples and oranges conversation. It's apples to apples. We speak the same compliance language. And that basically allows for that compliance and regulatory concern to be eliminated and that integration to occur. And what should hopefully lead to this next wave of adoption and actually upgrading of market infrastructure by utilizing the benefits of blockchains, distributed architecture, distributed ledger technology in general. So I think by actually working within these frameworks, it'll allow innovation to flourish and it'll actually protect the investor, which will reestablish the relationship or any sort of detriment that was done from a reputational standpoint with retail investors and really allowed to the next wave of sort of, uh, you know, digital assets uh, being able to flourish in the United States. That was well, a lot. <laughs> no, but that, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a, a great intro to your perspective and, you know, something that makes a lot of sense in the context of the existing financial services industry um, and how the, the two worlds essentially can be brought together. Because I, I, I do believe that broadly speaking, crypto and the crypto community, the crypto industry wants to be 
integrated into the financial ecosystem. That is how you achieve scale. And that's how you make a difference. You know, that's how you change the world, um, which, you know, if you at least believe what they say, that that is a guiding principle um, in crypto is this is the this is the future of money. This is the future of financialization. And, and this is uh, this decentralized mindset and technology is truly innovative if it can be adopted in a broad way. Um, and so let's take a step back though, because it, at, at the end of what you said, you talked about, we need to protect investors. And that's something that we care very much about here, um, as I talked about before. So, you know, what the securities laws exist for a reason, right? And crypto seems to be rediscovering a lot of this. It, was this foreseeable? You know, what we're going through now, do you think if people had understood the history of like why we got securities laws, where they came from? And, um, you know, does it are, are you of the, the mindset that laws created almost 100 years ago are still perfectly reasonable and valid um, in this sort of new technological age? Historically, I think every generation thinks they know what they're doing better than the last generation. <laughs> thinks that they won't make the same mistakes of a previous generation, and they always make the same mistakes. History. Well, I should say that, aside <laughs> from the boomers, let's ignore the boomers because they just totally destroyed the world, and I think everybody does know better than them. But sure, other than the boomers, yeah, I'm with you. So, from that perspective, I would say that when you look at securities laws, securities laws were able to handle the transition from paper trading, meaning physical certificates to electronic trading. That is a massive change in, on the street and how trading was done. The transition now from electronic trading, which is semi-digital to pure digital, meaning the asset is issued and transferred on the blockchain, is a much smaller jump than happened historically. Uh, now, I think that you know there might be some difficulty when it comes to nomenclature you know, there was at some points in the in the history of crypto when you said that if the offering document said it wasn't a security, then it wasn't a security. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that that obviously understands the economic realities of the transaction. But the real question overall is we have the American public participating in this space like they do with financial instruments, arguably like they do with equities. They're trading it. They're speculating on it. And how are we going to protect them in their participation? Now, there's different levels on it. One is, well, um, how do you make sure that the intermediaries allow for a venue that properly allows for trading to occur such that there's not manipulation, layering, wash trades, et cetera, all the, uh, you know, all these activities that have been proven out and sort of regulated and litigated and sort of, uh, you know, developed in the equity side. Mm -hmm. Well, right. th these processes don't change. The trading strategies don't change. So I, there's really no need to recreate the wheel there. And then if you take it a step further, well, if we don't need to recreate the wheel, why don't we just use the frameworks that have been tried and tested? And when you talk about, well, okay, well, then it becomes a question of, well, there's also commodities type frameworks and those are tried right. and tested. But if you look at the specifics, I would say that when you look at the SEC, I think it had been the end between the SEC and FINRA, there's 10 to 12,000 people approximately. And between the NFA and CFTC, I think you have 1,000 to 1,200. So, <laughs> so it's not surprising that the crypto industry wants to be regulated by one versus the other, let's say. That and also, it, it, if you think about it, 
I would say that commodities are much more of an institutional product. They're not just mine as much retail based. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whereas the SEC is much more used to dealing with retail based equities type products. Uh, and I think that sort of gives them more experience and understanding of how they would have to sort of oversee the digital asset space because it's a much more retail type component in a lot of its facilities. Um, but again, um, I don't like, I don't know if it's, I don't, it's not Promethium's responsibility to make that determination. It's really not what we're trying to do is actually just provide a forum where people could properly trade in a way that we think allows them to be properly protected and that their assets are properly custodied, segregated and secured. Um, what happens in the larger market, that'll be determined over time. But what's important is for there to be these venues that actually protect investors, that ensure that they can responsibly participate in the space that hopefully will move the industry forward. So some of these, there, there are some other venues not that have been licensed um, under, you know, the, the, the rules that you guys have um, applied and, and gotten approval for. But, you know, things like New York's bit license, for example, um, do you think that that was not... Uh, not sufficient, I guess, uh, not encompassing enough to provide a reasonable framework relative to, you know, federal securities laws? It's, it's a little bit more complicated when you have individualized states providing different frameworks. Yeah. Does that lead to a race to the bottom? The exactly. The and it leads to a fractionalization of sort of regulation. And what it also leads to is sort of what, what the issues were historically when it came to crypto. People will jurisdiction shop. There'll be regulatory arbitrage. Right. Yeah. And that's the problems that we saw led to negative consequences in 2022. So yeah. if there's a federal standard where everyone has to follow that basically clearly lays it out, which I believe the federal securities laws provide, uh, I think that is a legitimate tried and tested framework by which people can understand uh, their rights, their protections and how they should be sort of, uh, I guess the investor protections and consumer protections that they should be made available to them. I mean, if, if you go get certain virtual currency exchanges, you should be able to get a statement. <laughs> that's crazy talk, Aaron. Come on. <laughs> what are you talking about? That, that's, that's government overreach right there, I'm told. Um, no, I mean, I look, I, I personally am a fan of the securities laws. I think they've worked relatively well for a long time. Um, I think one argument that, that, I, that I think is confusing to a lot of people, and I will admit it is still confusing to me, is this question of uh, an investment contract and versus an investment. Um, and that was sort of an a recurring theme as uh, on our last episode, Lee Schneider kept shaking his head at me that I wasn't understanding things correctly. And that's, that's very reasonable because many people have over my life done that. But um, is it not on the guest if they can't explain it properly? <laughs> All right. We'll have a debate between you and Lee one of these days. No, no, Lee, I, I, I think I think it's confusing even to, I think even he admitted like this is a confusing and complex and difficult area. Um, and, you know, his thought is we should be bringing together a lot of people into the same room and, and working through uh, these issues together to come up with the right framework to regulate them. But what happens in the meantime? And what happens in the, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's very fair. Framework. 
Yeah. What happens to the people at that during that? Did we just continue status quo? Yeah. I no, I I think that's right. I think that's very fair, right? Who everyone was upset that nobody caught the FTX fraud, but then, you know, as the SEC gets out there and tries to let's say maybe prevent the next one, now people are upset that they're doing that. Um so it it does seem like they're in a tough position and and it seems like everyone is relatively confused about this like the if you look at the judicial the the decisions that have been coming out of the court for example um even there you know for example XRP the initial offering was an investment contract according to judge torres the the secondary trading of the thing that was sold as part of the investment contract was not a you know trading of a security is is that does that make any sense to you as someone who is building a regulated market for secondary trading? Personally, I think that if institutions should be protected, retail investors should be protected. Uh, it seems upside down that you would be yes. protecting the people who are the most capable while basically leaving it sort of wild west for the people who aren't most able to defend themselves. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, the larger overall issue is you know and there's the market structure bill which was just uh, introduced uh and basically there's the idea there of a cftc sec some sort of co-regulation mm-hmm. i believe something similar happened with security-based swaps and that mm-hmm. took like a decade to figure out mm-hmm. yep that's um, right with dodd frank and, and some of that stuff still isn't finished <laughs> so it, it, it's basically kicking a can down the road. I don't think it's necessarily dealing with the issues. There are a lot of the issues were that you know, the retail public was hurt. There needs to be a fair way for them to participate in the digital asset space. Essentially, um, one way to ensure that is to use a framework that is tried and tested. And so, do you sort of come come down on the yes on both accounts, right? Let's. Let, let's allow and enable the SEC to do its work right now because people need to be protected. And on the other side, let's all come together and try and figure out the right and best possible answer and get to there. But in the meantime, let's not allow people to be defrauded left, right, and center because um, we're arguing over what, what I think you're saying are you know, essentially semantics of law versus the economic reality uh, of what's taking place on these exchanges. Securities laws are meant to deal with the economic realities. And the overall goal of securities laws is to protect investors. We need to provide a mechanism that allows people to be able to participate in the digital asset space. And I keep on saying in a responsible fashion, but really just such that they're properly protected. Now that goes to basic, you know, uh, almost the whole life cycle of a digital asset from creation to trading through clearance, settlement and custody, and that they're protected along that whole value chain there or that life cycle. And the federal securities laws provide a great basis for that. They're tried and tested over 90 years. And um, if we spend time trying to figure out a new framework in the meantime, the general public will be hurt and there arguably will be other events like FTX. So speaking of FTX, you, we, we briefly mentioned this qualified custodian rule change. Uh, what is it and, and why, why is it important here? So the custody rule, the proposed rule changes to the custody rule such that crypto assets held by investment advisors or funds on behalf of clients have to be held at a qualified custodian. 
And a qualified custodian really is one of four categories. If you look at the regulation, it's a national bank. It's a broker dealer on the broker dealer side. It has to be a broker dealer licensed to custody digital assets, which is what the only, which is really what a special purpose broker dealer is, uh, which Prometheum Capital is, is at the moment, the only one there's a, possibility of doing it for foreign entities. And then one on the future side, I believe is the other two categories, but I don't believe there's anyone qualified under that. Uh, and what it means overall is that sort of investment advisors, funds, et cetera, will have to migrate their uh, assets that they held hold on behalf of customers to qualified custodians away from their current custodian construct. Uh, and I think one of the reasons it was done was as a result of events like FTX, there had to be a mechanism where the government felt comfortable you could actually protect the assets of customers. And the qualified custodial framework is a uh, established framework where basically has certain higher parameters that basically make sure customers are protected. Now, when you look at equities, there's a series of different reports and different sort of uh, mechanisms and operational procedures that are ensuring that customer assets are segregated from that mm -hmm. of the firm. Right. 15 C33, 15, it, there's a bunch of them, right? So essentially, uh, the idea there is, is that under the securities laws, you have those mechanisms in place to ensure that those customer assets are properly segregated. And basically, that will provide a mechanism or a framework such that someone can become a qualified custodian, meaning a special purpose broker dealer, and therefore allow for hopefully the regulators and the larger entities to feel comfortable that those clients' assets are being properly protected. So... Do you think that um, in this context, it, it, do you see a lot of firms trying to head down the path that you have headed down? Um, or do you think that as an industry, uh, there's not an actual desire to get registered and be regulated? It's just sort of talking points while they you know, continue to skirt around any rules that they can. I think it's probably both. You'll be dealing with a certain grouping of entities that are trying to move forward, and we'll examine that as a, a significant possibility as a means of moving forward. Uh, whereas you have another grouping of entities where, uh, as I sort of mentioned before, they're intransigence and really their uh, refusal to acknowledge the paradigm shift after FTX uh, has led to basically a lot of litigation, a lot of regulatory actions. Uh, and I would argue that when you're fighting with your regulator in the public, you're losing in private. Uh, <laughs> well, that that's very uh, apropos to uh, some of the equity market structure uh, events that we see taking place as we see Virtu uh, constantly fighting with the SEC and accusing them of a political vendetta. It suggests to us the same thing that uh, something something very different is happening behind the scenes. But that that aside, let, let me ask you this question then, um, it, which it, all of this aside, uh, are, are cryptocurrencies or NFT securities or not, should they be regulated in the securities framework? Or not? How, how can retail investors, how can individual investors protect themselves today? Do you have advice for them? You know, what, what would you suggest they look for? How should they be judging the firms and venues that they're interacting with in this space to protect themselves from being a victim uh, of the next FTX? So there's multiple questions here. One's on the token side, which has to do with arguably the activity attendant to that protocol and basically the adoption. Uh, and that is not my 
specific area of expertise because we most more focus on the financial intermediary side, the broker dealer mm -hmm. side, the ATS, the basically special purpose broker dealer side. And I would say that uh, hopefully we're going to see a lot of um, the activity attendant to retail trading migrate to uh, ecosystems regulated under the securities laws on both the trading and custody side. I think the change to the custody rule when it comes to qualified custodians and crypto assets uh, will sort of help facilitate a lot of that migration uh, because you'll have to have custody at a qualified custodian licensed properly under the law, according to the regulation. Uh, and from there, what I think will happen overall is more of a migration to properly licensed ecosystems under the securities laws. And at some point, uh, we'll see a development of really a national market system for digital assets. Hmm. Uh, it's a little bit different than it occurred with equities because equities first, you have the exchanges, then you go to the ATS. So it sort of goes a little reverse, but, uh, but essentially you'll start, you'll see uh, ATS has come online, which basically allow for proper protection of investors uh, and fair and early markets. And they'll hopefully there'll be a, a bunch of those, which eventually you'll see national security exchanges and you'll see a national market system develop for digital assets. So, um, and when it comes to uh, investor protections, I think that transition's ongoing. Uh, and as more ecosystems come online under the securities laws, uh, that will allow those investors to be properly protected. And I think that'll be a major turning point when you get to choose between a venue that's licensed, let's say, under the money transmitter laws and has the same license as, let's say, MoneyGram and Western Union versus a venue that's licensed under the securities laws that has similar securities licenses to other ATSs or, you know, at some point national security exchanges. So is there, is there, a, there's not a way today though, for an individual investor to, to be sort of fully within a, a, a licensed ecosystem. Promethium comes online, hopefully in the very near future. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely have you back uh, when that happens and we'll, we'll be very excited uh, to see that and to see, at least one option um, for people uh, who are trying to get into the future of finance and the future of money, the future of securitization and assets, um, while having some comfort that the firms that they're interacting with and the counterparties they're interacting with, uh, you know, have basic investor protection regulations that, that they have to follow. Yeah, it'll be sort of weird. I'm sorry to interrupt, Dave, but no it's, worries, it's yeah. sort of interesting because I think it'll be the means by which it allows for institutional adoption mm -hmm. and which will then force the issue forward and then basically sort of uh, provide the mechanism by which retail can then switch over into those uh, entities licensed under the securities laws. Because I think for the larger institutional adoption to occur and the larger traditional financial system integration to occur, you'll need to have those venues licensed under the securities laws, which allow them to feel comfortable participating in the space, which will then facilitate more of the transition on the retail side as well. Got it. Yep. That all makes sense. All right. Thanks, Aaron uh, from Prometheum. Really appreciate uh, you joining us, giving a di totally different perspective than what we've heard uh, so far. And uh, anything else you wanted to cover before we sign off? No, I appreciate the opportunity. Sure thing. Um, so again, thank you for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk Markets. Um, we will be back next week. As I said, we're, we're pretty much done with crypto for a little while. Uh, next week, we are actually going to talk markets on Let's Talk Markets. We, we've talked all market structure up until this point. 
Um, and we've heard some of the comments and feedback that we've gotten. And uh, we're going to try and have some more regular uh, episodes, monthly episodes, where we actually talk markets, what's going on, uh, what's driving markets, where are they going, um, and you know everything that we think individual investors need to know uh, to be on top of everything taking place in markets. We're also going to start uh, another recurring episode talking about macroeconomics and what's driving markets with a more of an econ deep dive. Um, got some really special guests lined up. Really excited to start talking about that. But next week, join us uh, with Michael Guyad from the Lead Lag Report. Uh, he'll be joining us to talk about markets and uh, his thoughts around uh, whether we are on the precipice of a credit event or not. So uh, again, thanks for joining us. Make sure to like, subscribe, and give us a good rating. Uh, we hear all your feedback. Leave those comments. We love to hear it. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time.